Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you win at work, love, and life. And we know you have what it takes to reach your full potential. That's why every week, Johnny and I share with you interviews and strategies to help you develop the right social skills and mindsets to succeed. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. If you love this show, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. Are you ready to supercharge your social skills, grow your EQ, and develop deeper relationships? We know winning at work, love, and life is absolutely possible for you. But sometimes you just need additional support and mentorship. We've heard you, and that's why we created a completely new program that provides mentorship and accountability to get you to your goals faster. Social skills are the one skill that you could practice every single day. Our Los Angeles in-person bootcamp is paused, but that doesn't mean you can't start working on your social skills from home. It's called the X Factor Accelerator Program with direct access to me, AJ, and the entire Art of Charm coaching team for an entire year. Get the accountability, support, and skills you need to build better habits, grow your social skills, and unlock your X Factor to make 2021 your best year ever. Head on over to unlockyourxfactor.com right now and apply today. Unlockyourxfactor.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Let's kick off today's Toolbox episode. That's right. We're back at it, bringing you a toolbox and we're going to talk about the main reason people don't connect in conversation. And we're going to give you three time-tested tools to create a lasting and deep connection with that other person. That's right. We are busting the myth around relationships. And those are going to work whether you just met the other person or whether you've known each other for years. In fact, whenever a client joins our program and tries these out for the first time, well, they often come back into the next session a week later saying, I've just had the longest and deepest conversation of my life. And they actually thanked me at the end of that conversation. We're so excited to share these tips with you, right, Johnny? Absolutely. And we're welcoming our head coach, Michael, to join us this week as well. I'm so excited for today's Toolbox episode. I know we haven't done one in a while. And this is a topic that is so important, especially in light of today, many of us struggling to connect with one another. And I know Michael... This is an experience that some of our students, even in X Factor, recently had in going through the storytelling implementation session. And this problem presents itself over and over again when we try to relate with people. And that's people focus on facts and not the emotions. Yeah, that's what we, uh, what the guys so discovered in the implementation session. Like you said, you could see like eyes pop open after they realized this, where 
just for our listeners, what we did in the workshop for X Factor Accelerator was that we did a small group with breakout rooms and we, we had like 90 minutes to work on people's ability to give answers that are engaging. And what they did in the first round, I gave them the prompt, what did you do on the weekend? And they would say, well, I did, I got up at this time and then I did this and then I did this and then I did this. And then I was like, okay, and now let's change this around. And at the end of the workshop, you could see like people watching the presentation with such an interest. They really wanted to hear how the story, like what's coming out of the weekend story. And uh, I'm really excited to cover some of those techniques here with, with this toolbox app. I wanted to add to this that it, speaking through emotions isn't something that we normally tend to do. In fact, there is not only are we running our own classes and implementation sessions and workshops at this, but I mean, there are college classes in communication and marketing where you have to learn to speak this way because that is how we sell. Hmm. And let's be honest, we're always selling. You're selling ideas. You're selling concepts. You're selling relationships. You're selling products. It's all sales. And so to get better at your communication and be able to speak through emotion allows you to be not only a better salesman, a better leader, a better strategist, somebody who is able to bring others peak their interest and get them on board. So this is influence and persuasion as well. And that's just it. It's not about the data exchange. When it comes to connecting with someone, we have to connect beyond the data level and connect on that emotional level. Now, what I love about our clients is many of them come from highly analytical backgrounds. Like myself, as a scientist, I was trained to follow the data not speak emotionally, and not think about the emotions at work. So many of our clients come to us with this exact same frame of reference where most of their lives, they go into work and they analyze facts and information and they have to make critical decisions. But we don't do that when we're connecting with people, when we're trying to relate to one another. We can't be analyzing and hanging on every word. We have to look a layer deeper and find that emotional connection with that other person. And that's the best part about it. We all share a range of emotions. So when we can use emotions to illustrate a time in our life through story, we can engage those emotions in others and feel more connected. I don't wanna take from anyone who does analytical work where they're putting together data. That's incredibly important. But the story that you package the data into becomes what people gravitate towards. And the data only backs up the emotions that they feel from the story that's put together. So this is why both of these are incredibly important. If you're going to do anything, you want to make sure that the data and the, the logic is there, but the emotional ties are there. Because I, and this is something that I've said in, in all of our classes, everybody is well aware of the logic and the data that is presented with a lot of ideas. For instance, everybody knows that smoking is bad for you. And if you ask everyone on the street that you see light up a cigarette and ask them, is that good for you? What do you think they're going to tell you? Well, no, no not at all. But if they know that it's bad for them, why is it so incredibly difficult for them to quit? Because they're not emotionally tied 
to the benefits of quitting. They have to get emotionally tied to the journey and everything else that comes with working through that addiction. And your emotions is what motivates you. It fires you up. It, it helps you work through all the negative emotions that are coming with that addiction. This is another thing. If you wanted to go to the gym or you wanted to start eating right, you better wrap it up in a great story so you can emotionally get engaged. I have such a vivid example of this playing out in my own life. When I just started out as a public speaker, I was complete a complete novice still. And there was this event I got invited to that was, you both are going to love this. This was a rock concert with in-between bands. They would bring up a speaker to talk. And this is what happened. So a band plays, everyone's dancing, everyone's drinking. And then a speaker like goes on stage and delivers like blah, blah, blah. And everyone turns their phone on. And then it was my turn and the music stopped. And I was like, okay, now it's my turn to go on stage. And I go on stage and I look in the audience and I get introduced as this is Michael. He's a speaker. He's been doing this. He's been doing that. And all the phones come up. Like you could see people's faces being lit up by their smartphones and they turn around and the whispers start. And then I start my story. And after all the boring intro points, I go like, this is, you know, this is what happened to me. This is what, this is what happened when I was a child. This is what, what I learned. And this is how I felt. And this, and the phones vanished, beer vanished. It got really quiet. Like people were dabbing at their eyes. They were like hugging each other. And two minutes later, like the entire room was quiet. And that was because I switched from the data over to the emotion that I wanted to get across. It reminds me of back in my early scientific career, the importance of the story that goes along with those slides and, and the presentation that you're doing to present the data, the facts, the figures, the graphs. That is all important. But at the end of the day, we have to put it together in a story to convey those principles and that information to people for them to hold on to it. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about becoming memorable enough that someone feels connected to you. And I talk to so many guys and gals for this matter who are feeling disconnected right now, feeling like they have a lot of surface level relationships, feeling like they lacked a depth of connection, people they could trust. And I know, Michael, we've talked about these facts and figures countless times with countless guests about how many of us right now are going through life not feeling connected, not feeling like we have those deep ties. And I trace a lot of it back to these initial conversations where we're not listening intently. We're only hanging on the data. Why? Because we're so concerned with how we're going to appear and what people are going to think about us. So we listen at the data level and then we try to relate at the data level. And then we walk away from that conversation being like, well, I don't know. Should I reach out to that person? We don't walk away from that conversation feeling, oh, that was amazing. I can't wait to see this person again. And that's a fault of our own because we are being lazy when it comes to listening. We're so worried about ourselves. We're turning internally and focusing on what am I going to say next that we're not paying attention to that emotional part of the story. That's so key. And when you start listening to it in conversation with others, you start picking up on it in TV and in media and all these other places where emotion carries the story, then all of a sudden you can start adding it yourself into the interaction. And change, much like you saw in that implementation session, exactly how you explain just your morning or how your day went. Yeah, exactly. 
Let's face it, we're writing every day. It's part of our digital lives and how we communicate and the words we use have become a part of us. When people read our messages and emails, they read them in our voice. Our writing is now part of our first impression and it can make or break you. It's important to take the time to make a great digital first impression with Grammarly. There's more to clear, effective communication than just catching spelling mistakes. Grammarly Premium gives you real-time feedback and insights to help you elevate your writing through tone, word choice, clarity, and more. Now, I'm constantly using Grammarly to write email pitches, coach clients, and even email my aunt my favorite recipes. It always helps me find and cut out unnecessary words or punctuation to keep my writing sharp. Because we get so many messages and documents, things start to blend together or sound the same. So more effective writing is key to making better connections. Grammarly Premium gives you real-time insights and guidance on tone, word choice, clarity, and more so you can communicate clearly and confidently. I've really enjoyed the vocabulary suggestions. It helps me avoid overused words and redundancies to keep our readers engaged. Finally, replace boring or bland words with more exciting, effective, and memorable ones. I will say for me, it's all about clarity checks and keeping my tone consistent. Harness the power of Grammarly on every platform with their desktop editor, browser plugin, and mobile apps. Improve your writing on all of your favorite sites and apps, Outlook, Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. Don't just say it. Make a statement with clear, flawless text that's sure to impress. Grammarly doesn't just correct your mistakes. It helps you build up your skills as a writer. Elevate your writing with 20% off Grammarly's premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash charm. That's 20% off Grammarly Premium at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash charm. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I always like to explain it like this, like, if you need facts and data, you usually turn to Google or any other search engine. Now, how much of a personal connection do you have with your search engine? None. It, it's a tool. So if, if you rely on facts and data to make a personal connection with the person you're looking at, how is that going to work through data and facts? So, Well, there are three levels of rapport that we should understand because for a lot of people, they tend to, to think that if they're going to connect with somebody emotionally, that they it needs to be heavy. But the actuality, Brene Brown coined the term floodlighting, where you start dumping a bunch of heavy-duty emotional stuff off on other people and expect them to take it in for this connection. But in actuality, that sense, that is like, there's a saying of boiling the frog, slowly turning it up. Well, that's throwing hot water on the frog. He's, he's, he's out of there. So we also want to make sure that the conversation is, is opening up for both people. And so how we set this up is I like to think of it as for two people who are going to connect, they're going to go on an emotional journey together. So. Let's use this as an example. We'll use the, the, what I like to use is the cave metaphor. So two people meet and they decide, well, hey, I sort of kind of like you and you sort of kind of like me. I think we should connect emotionally. I think we should, we should build some vulnerability here together, some rapport. So we walk up to what I like to call as the rapport cave. Now this cave is dark. It's scary. And in order for us to build rapport, we have to walk into this together and we have to trust each other. Now, if I don't know you, one of us has to lead. And if, I've, if I'm going to be the man where I'm, I'm going to take control over this situation, then I'm going to walk up to the cave and I'm going to need to walk in there first. I can't expect to lead you to this dark cave and then ask you to step right in you're not going to feel very good about that. So I have to walk in and then I have to shine the flashlight around to show you that being vulnerable in order for us to connect and create a rapport together is okay. So I'm going to do that first. Now, 
there are three levels to vulnerability and you can look at it as deep as we're going to go into this cave. So the first level of vulnerability is what we call light disclosure. This is light, amusing, fun anecdotes about myself and the world around me that don't carry much risk with it. The risk is that the information, the emotions that I'm giving you can be used to manipulate me. So for instance, I always use this example, which is it's third grade. I'm at the cafeteria. I'm hanging out with my friends and we're all laughing and we're all carrying on. And I go to shake my chocolate milk. And in that moment that I start shaking it, I realized that I, I had already opened it. So milk goes everywhere. I'm completely embarrassed. Now, I'm telling you this story at 46 years old. So there are emotional bids in this story of embarrassment, humiliation, and these are the emotions that I'm sharing about this scenario. But yet, that it has happened so long ago that I'm detached from any of those emotions. So the, the risk involved is rather low, but yet, each one of you has a story that you can relate to about this very moment. And so after I finish that story, after I walk into the cave and I shine the flashlight around, you might say, hey, I got a story too. Or you should, you think that's embarrassing. Check out what happened to me in fifth grade. So I've walked in, I've shined the light around and I've shown that it's quite all right. And I'm not risking much here. There's very little risk involved in, in light disclosure. And so the next level is what they call medium disclosure. So I will farther walk it down the cave. And if you are sharing story for story with me, then I can feel good that you're risking just as much as I am. And if there are light rapport stories, if it's light disclosure, that risk isn't much, but it's enough for me to feel comfortable that you're engaged in this conversation, you're contributing to it as much as I am. So if I want to deepen this and I see that you're matching me, then I feel good. It's reasonable to believe that it's safe enough for me to move into the next level of this rapport. So this is what we call medium disclosure. And medium disclosure is beliefs, ideas, feelings and opinions about myself and the world around me. Do you guys see how that criteria is different than the, the criteria of light disclosure? Especially in today's environment. Absolutely. And you can also see in today's climate how speaking about my beliefs, my opinions and my feelings about my place in the world around me, what a risk that is. So that vulnerability, especially today, starts to amp up. Now, here's the situation. If you've been sharing in light disclosure, when we've been walking along, for me, I can feel good that you'll be following along. And even if we differ in these beliefs, in these ideas, that I feel safe enough that you'll then share yours and then we'll find some common ground. And in order to find that common ground, we both have to share these, this vulnerability, these ideas. But once we find that common ground, we've now tied tighter 
to the rapport of medium disclosure, something that has more risk involved. And because it has more risk involved, we're now closer. And that's just it about that risk. It involves emotion. Absolutely. And there is plenty of emotion to how the world works around you and your place in it. And this goes to what you were saying, AJ, about past, present, and future. If we start talking about dreams and aspirations or how I might view the world around me through incidents that might have happened in my past, I am offering up of a lot of vulnerability here, which is putting me at risk. But as I've said, you've been sharing along with me from the beginning of this journey, so I should feel safe. And then lastly, now that we've bonded there, then the next place for this, and this is where a lot of people jump to, and I want to preface this, that that with high levels of disclosure, you're speaking about the understandable human weakness, your fears and insecurities about yourself and the world around you. And that we definitely share all these, but you can imagine if if you have what I'm what I fear in life or what my insecurities are, then you have a lot of power over me. And not only that, think about everything that you have that you can use to manipulate me. This is vulnerability. This is the risk involved. I'm giving you this. Now most relationships are not worked through deep disclosure, high disclosure. They're usually in low and medium. It's for the relationships that you are trying to deepen through, like you're going to share these type of things with your best friends, uh, people that you have very long, important, connected relationships with, your wives, your trusted confidants. These people have access to this. And the reason that there is a a rapport built on that is that you've earned that deep, that high disclosure. You have earned it through familiarity. You have earned it through risking the vulnerability through time and other stories. And I want to also set up here that a lot of people, when they learn about these levels, of course, you're going to want out, want to go out and, and play with this stuff. And one of the, the questions that always comes up is I have, I have been enjoying using these techniques and these tactics and these ideas of rapport. And what I have found is a lot of people are afraid to walk into the deeper section with me. And what's important to understand is just because you know and understand this stuff and, and want to play with it. Does it mean that other people are willing to open up to that degree? And when you understand this and you learn about it, it's fresh. It's exciting. You want to see it work, but you cannot force this stuff on to other people if they're not ready, because that will cause rather than connection, it'll cause resentment. So recapping, and I think this is important to understand because I know many when they hear, oh, I just need to ask deeper questions right away, they'll go run and start peppering heavier and heavier questions into the interaction. But they're treating it like that dark cave. They're pointing at the hole and saying, hey, go crawl in there for me. Yeah. They're not shining the flashlight. And that's why, yes, it is important for us to ask deeper questions. But we also have to be willing to go in that cave 
and shine the flashlight and let other people feel comfortable answering those questions that require a level of vulnerability. You know, what are your aspirations? What are your goals, your dreams, right? Now we're resonating on positive emotions. And of course, we wanna be sharing those as well in these conversations. The best way to deepen a relationship is to share your own hopes and dreams and aspirations and not expect others to just jump in and lead the way. That is you walking in first and shining the light. So for example, Michael, let's say that you and I have met, we've walked up to the cave of rapport. You seem like a, a guy who's on the level. I'd like to form a relationship with you. So I'm going to go into a cave. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question, right? And maybe you feel comfortable. We've been chatting. So you walk in a little bit and then I ask you another one. And you're like, eh, so you answer that question. And then I ask you another one. And now you have walked how many steps into the cave? And I haven't, I'm not next to you. I'm not by your side. In fact, the farther you go down, the less light from my flashlight is lighting up the room. I want to use that example there. And I want to, well, how does that work in real life? Well, it works in real life because I've seen this so many times and this irritates me that people get stuck in their head in order to have better conversations, you need to ask better questions. And that's true to a degree, but it doesn't stop at the question asking. And we see this happen over and over and over again, where somebody read something and the only thing that clicked or that that stuck with them is ask better questions. So now they're question machines. And I can tell you from doing this job as long as I have, and you can imagine, for all the programs that we have done over 15 years, when guys get to the house and they meet AJ and myself, and, and if you've been with us with this, Michael, they start asking a lot of questions. Well, of course, they're, they're excited to be there. There's a lot of unknowns that are about to happen. And we let everyone, we let everyone out, chill out, or we start asking them questions back because it can feel invasive, interrogative, when you just start getting question after question after question and the other party isn't sharing. And even though we all understand this and what's going on, it still feels invasive. And I know, Michael, you have an interesting study that was done around exactly this point. Oh, yeah. Like I, I love I, I love all the studies. So <laughs> what am I even saying? But I, I love this one. And it's, it's titled The Experimental Generation of Interpersonal Closeness. And it was done by Arthur Aaron in 1997. And what they did in the study was they had a group of people and they split them into two groups. And in one group, there would always be two people and they would ask each other uh, small talk questions like, what's your favorite TV show? And in the other group, they would also have pairs of two, but those questions would become more and more personal over time. So they would start off with, what's your favorite TV show? But then it would slowly go over into, when was the last time you cried? What's something you'll regret if you don't do in your lifetime? And things like that. And what they found in the end was that they asked the participants, how close do you feel with that person? You just had this short little 40-minute like, conversation. How close do you guys feel? And those that had the shallow questions, they're like, nah, mm, you know, it was nice. But those that were in the other group that had the more and more personal questions, they were really close. Like sometimes they became closer than with some of their best friends. And they stayed in touch. And in that study, like one, one pair even got engaged afterwards. 
And for those of you listening, when you think, wait, this sounds a little bit familiar, this study was kind of the basis for, air quotes, the 36 questions that will make you fall in love with everyone. That was kind of the, the study that, that sparked this. And I think it's so, so interesting to see that we all rely on those small talk questions. And we talk about the weather and the weekend and the TV show. And then we wonder that, you know, why I'm not feeling connected to that person? Well, you know, here's your answer because you talk about TV shows and the weather. And those questions tend to focus on the present. What's going on with you right now? What's going on with you today? And if you think about the, the questions in that study and why they're so powerful, they focus on the emotions of the past. They focus on the emotions and the aspirations of the future. And when you can start to transition and talk about all three states of time, your past, your present, and your future, that's how we can start generating deeper connections with people. Yeah, there's, I often find that with this cave metaphor that people want this list of the perfect questions to ask. And then to add to that, they also want the list with the perfect answers to each of those questions. Now, how entertaining is that going to make that conversation? Because I'll give you an example that I, I like to use in, in Core Confidence is of a situation in a conversation where, where you, AJ, have the perfect answer and you're absolutely sure that it's the correct answer. This is what happens. We have a conversation and I go, Achoo! what do you say? My perfect answer, obviously. Yeah. And how predictable would that be? Like, it, it's perfect, right? You know exactly what to say. Uh, bless you, Gesundheit, whatever, salute. And it would add nothing to the conversation because it's just perfectly scripted. Nothing added. And so this is where the, the confidence part comes in, or the, the, the leaving your comfort zone in a conversation where sometimes you don't know if that question is going to be the right one. Maybe that question is going to make the other person stop in their track as they're walking into the cave. Maybe it elicits an answer that throws you a little bit off track. But that is the beauty of being on that conversational floor that this is not mechanistic where every step is like predicted 100 steps into the future is like, I could ask Johnny something and get an answer that completely surprises me or the other way around. And, and you can't do that if you want to hold on to something that lets you exactly predict how the other person is going to react. I mean, if you think about relationships in your life currently, the ones that you feel deeply connected with, did they all start the same? Did every one of those relationships follow the same conversational thread? Oh, Michigan. Oh, graduate school. Oh, biology. Oh, you love football. No, not at all. They all beautifully unraveled in their own unique ways where you found connection through emotion and through sharing stories. And all of a sudden that deeper connection was formed, but it wasn't formulaic. I created a deep friendship with Johnny, but I can't use those exact same questions and answers and stories with you, Michael. It doesn't work <laughs> no, that way. Really. So it's important that we realize the art in what we're talking about here and in, in deepening the connections around us. If you come at this saying, hey, what are these perfect questions? AJ, just give me that list of 36 questions and I'm done. Bang, I'm out. I got what I need from this podcast. Well, what you're actually missing out on is the deepening of the connection. You'll end up stuck in that surface level formation of relationships that we hear time and time again from the clients that work with us. And that's frustrating because we're not coming in with the curiosity 
that we need to spark the deeper connection. If it's boring small talk, if it's who, what, where, when type questions, and you're just hanging on to that information, well, the other person isn't going to feel inspired to share anything else. They're not going to feel inspired to move to medium disclosure. And of course, they're not going to remember that from the thousands of other small talk conversations they've had throughout their life. And when we ask deeper questions, what we're in turn doing is we're actually working on the second point, the second most important thing, and that's finding the why. We need to really start to understand the why people are behaving the way they are, why they're sharing what they're sharing with us, and our own why. So we can bring that into the conversation. And when we're able to share our why and get a greater understanding of the other person's why behind their behaviors, their actions, their beliefs, their experiences, well, that enriches the relationship. But of course, we're not used to that level of disclosure. It's a scary cave to enter, to share our why, to talk about what's important to us. And in turn, we're not in tune with it, so we're not curiously looking for it in others. And to add to that, we started this conversation by discussing storytelling and storytelling uh, and implementation class. And this is the thing. If you have it programmed into your mind that all I need to do is be a better question asker and I'm going to make better connections, well, then you haven't done any work for to get comfortable with your own levels of risk and vulnerability. And this is the hidden gem. And think about it. I think this is why a lot of people get this idea of ask better questions for better connecting in their head because they don't have to really do any work. The work that they're doing is low risk. Ask better questions. Put all the efforts on the other person. And there's this other line that I think that lends itself to this that sticks in everybody's heads. That everyone's favorite subjects is themselves. And if you could get them talking about themselves, then they'll, they'll end up doing all the work. That is true. But you have to create a safe place for them to want to begin to talk about themselves. Because if that has not been set up, they will remain closed. You're not going to get information out of them. And every time that you push to get more information, they're going to close that much more. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like most people, as we've discussed in the main reason why people don't make a connection, most people aren't even used to sharing about their, they're not used to being in that cave and, no. and you can't really push them in either. So here is a, a carrot that you can use to kind of treat them to stepping into the cave. And I, I just love this. I just love this technique. And so. What I would do with this technique, that it's one of the things that we teach at the X Factor Accelerator and Core Confidence as well, is that you, you look at the emotional, you actually ask about the emotional content of what's happening in that story. So, for example, AJ might have traveled before, you know, the entire like zombie apocalypse that's happening right now. He might have happened to travel to Paris and then he comes back from Paris and I could ask him, well, what did you eat there? What was your schedule like? What was the street like? What was this? What was... And then he would give me those facts, right? We landed at 8.30 p.m. I had intercontinental breakfast. The hotel was this large. This was the price of lunch and so on. Or I could say, what was it like to be in Paris? Now I get 
AHA's view on this. Or he could tell me all the facts about being in the Louvre and seeing the Mona Lisa up on the wall. And I could say, well, you know, how long did you have to wait? How many people were there in the room? Or I could say, what was it like to see the Mona Lisa? What did you like most about Paris? And that questions like that, and it can be as simple as what did you like most? That it can be as simple as that. And what that now allows me to do is I can see the world through AJ's eyes. Because if the three of us, if we ever travel to Paris and we have exactly the same itinerary and we go exactly to the same restaurants, museums, hotels, and then people ask us in their usual way, what did you do? We would tell them exactly the same story. But if that person asks each one of us, what was it like to be in Paris? You get a different story. Because for me, it would be, I don't know, the art. For AJ, it's the, it's the, the street vendors and the, the, the paintings and that they have there. And for Johnny, it's the music. And suddenly you get three people that did exactly the same thing, but you get three different stories. And so once you train yourself to ask the other person that question that helps them look for the why they do certain things and why they like certain things and why they stayed in that hotel, that's when you get that light push towards disclosure and the other person gets used to sharing a little bit more of what's going on inside instead of just the outside. And... This is also a beautiful thing just for everyday questions. So I could ask, and we can actually do this here. I'm curious for your answers. I could ask you, what's your favorite movie? And then what, what would I get, AJ? Just, just the favorite movie. Fight Club. And Johnny? Over the Edge. All right. For me, it's Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. So now we don't really know. Well, now we can just ask the next question, right? What's your favorite food? How many siblings do you have? Or we could change that question around a little bit. And I ask you, Johnny or AJ, why is Fight Club your favorite movie? What do you like most about it? It's one of those movies that I feel like every time I watch it, I catch something else. And there's so many hidden layers to the movie that it's enjoyable again and again. Whereas I feel like most movies, you watch it once and you really don't even have to watch it again. But that one really stands out. And I feel like every time I'm on an Easter egg hunt, watching it, seeing different moments that I didn't catch the first time. And that's my point. Because for everyone listening right now, you're not going to talk about Fight Club anymore because you just learned 10 things about HA that you didn't know before. And, and that's where the conversation now goes. And the fact that it's this movie with Edward Norton and Brad Pitt that's irrelevant. Now it's like, whoa, look at that. This is what excites AJ. This is what he finds stimulating. And boom. And I just learned something about AJ that I didn't know before. How awesome is that? And we can repeat that with, with your favorite food, with your favorite spot to hang out, with your favorite bar. Why? What do you like most about it? Here's another one for you, Michael. When you ask somebody what their favorite anything is, right? A great follow-up is what is the criteria that you used to get that answer? When you look at the criteria, so for instance, you were asking AJ, why, well, why was it that Fight Club was his favorite movie? We got a lot of information about AJ. Asking what is the criteria? For myself, To and the answer to that question was, it was what is the impact that the movie had. So for myself, Over the Edge had a large shift and impact in my life. Now it's, it's a, it's an underground movie. It's Matt Dillon 
first movie. He was 14 years old. It was a, a movie that gained a cult following through the 90s, but it came out in, in 1980. But its impact on me as a child was a com- was mm. was a shift in how I viewed myself and the world around me. Is that starting to sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. Yes, uh, that would have been exactly <laughs> my answer as well. Well, so. I was referring to the medium disclosure ideas about myself. Yeah, that is what. Yeah, I mean, I want to be a, I want to be a Jedi. Um, right. You know, it's out there now. Medium to a high. These are these goals and ambitions. It's actually like high disclosure. Yeah, I want to be a Jedi. That's that's it. It's out there in the world now. Yeah, I, I mean, it frames the answer into a medium disclosure question and you'll get me in a way that only allows you elaborate on the answer that you've already provided. So now you get to give it context. It's not as if I'm asking you to dig a new hole, right? The hole's already been dug. So now I'm getting the information of why you've chosen, why it was important to you. So you're getting context to information that was willingly already shared. And this works both ways. In conversation, we can answer the why question when someone's giving us their boring small talk questions. We can answer that why. If someone asks you, what's your favorite food? Answer the why question. Don't just say, oh, it's Italian. Well, it's Italian because the last time I was on the Amalfi Coast, I had the most beautiful sweet shrimp pasta and the chef came to the table and explained all of the local ingredients that went into making that dish. And it was so few ingredients, but so packed with flavor that I fell in love with Italian food. Beautiful. Many of us, when we go into conversations with networking or even in Zooms, we're just, let's get our point across. Let's move on. Let's move to the next thing. But we can add color. We can add dimension to our own answers by answering that why question as if it was posed to us. And that was you, AJ, taking the flashlight and rolling down the cave farther. And now, of course, the other person might are, are going to want to add their experiences. Oh, Italy. I've been Italy or talking about the, the pasta. So asking deeper questions, finding the why and the third solution that we want to end with today. And this one I've struggled with myself. And that's leaning into the emotional content in your conversation. Many of us feel uncomfortable when we show emotions. We try to diffuse them. We want to be stoic, poker face. We've all heard those responses, especially in the professional realm. Many of us feel those pressures. But by leaning into the emotion, we're actually validating the other person's experience as well as our own because we're giving them something to connect to. Michael didn't go to the same school as me. Johnny didn't grow up in Detroit. There are a lot of things in terms of experience that we don't have that share. But the emotions that are tied to those experiences, we've all felt. We've all felt shame like Johnny in grade school shaking his milk. We've all felt triumphant like Michael ending his talk at the concert on stage, realizing that the audience is engrossed. And adding that emotional context and leaning into it in your conversation creates opportunity for connection with others that we oftentimes, and myself included, have struggled with. And the emotional piece doesn't seem as relevant or as important when you're trying to get a story across or trying to answer someone's question. 
Yeah, and I think most of us do that. Like the moment in a conversation where you see there's like especially strong emotions coming up in the other person, what you kind of want to do instinctually is, is like excuse yourself and walk away. And I've actually, I've seen this um, happen in my dad not too long ago, who's not too much socially calibrated. I can say that because he doesn't listen to the show. And something happened where I think a person broke out a little bit in tears at a funeral. And my dad literally said, oh boy. And he turned around and he walked away, which is like, that's not very supportive. Like, that's not how it works. But, but that's kind of what it is because most people are not used to being confronted by emotions. And as scary as it is, we've, we've kind of forgotten how to deal with them. And, and the last thing you want to do is tell the other person, ah, don't worry about it, or you shouldn't be sad. It's like, no, you actually lean in. You know, the other person is sad. Let them know that that's all right. Like, this is, you know, this is what it's supposed to feel like. You're, you're angry. Well, that's it's kind of, I, I get that. And, and then take it from there, but first meet them where they're at. And validating those emotions. I would feel frustrated if that happened to me. I'd be terrified if I was driving and that car swerved in front of me, validating that emotions by saying, I would feel the same way that that person is feeling right now creates that connection. It allows the other person to feel heard. And that's really what we're talking about here. At the end of the day, connection is when someone in your life understands you because they heard you and you heard them. Those are the people in our life we feel most connected to. And that's what gives you that rock solid connection, not the perfect question and the perfect answer, but this, I see you as a human and I meet you where you're at with all your flaws and with all your imperfections. That's, that's where the both of us meet. And from here on out, let's be connected. I had this mind blowing experience just three days ago at a workshop that I was attending as a participant. And it's called the, the Therapeutic Relationship with Kelly Wilson. So the CBT people out there, the, the contextual behavioral science people, the name will ring a bell. And he did this exercise with us that still gives me goosebumps where we, we, we moved into breakout rooms with, with three people. And he gave us just one assignment. He said, you have 15 minutes, five minutes for each person. Pick who starts and then ask that person this question, who loved you into being? Who loved you into being? And then listen with curiosity. And in my room, we were only two people. And I started asking my breakout room partner that question. And she started talking about her mom that raised her by herself and had a really hard time and said, I, you know, I owe this woman everything. And at that point, like emotions came up for both of us. And then she asked me the same question. I talked about my great grandmother who kind of raised me. And again, a lot of emotions came up. And then like 10 minutes later, we said, you know what? Uh, we need to exchange phone numbers. I need to visit you in Brazil because this was freaking amazing. Uh, we, we're friends now. Like we came out of that session and we said, yeah, I think we're friends. Like I'm, I'm really sad that this talk, this time together is now over. And Again, that didn't happen because we had a perfect question. Well, in this case, it kind of was, but don't go out there and think that you can ask everyone that question and end up with a best friend, right? But it was the fact that both of us went into that cave that Johnny mentioned, and we weren't scared to lead, and we knew the other person was following. And if you have that setup, 
and that requires confidence and vulnerability and you have that set up, you can really dash into that cave because you know the other person is right next to you with a flashlight or without. And I think that's that's the main thing that people need to get, that this is not easy and it's not scripted, but once you allow yourself to be open enough to experience it and share it with someone else, it's worth the risk that sometimes comes with it. Well, it's also why we tell everyone that you're going to learn these things by implementing them in your everyday life. You don't become a master at rapport and conversation by reading about it or listening to it in this podcast. You you learn what works best for you and by gaining experience in other people and their emotional responses through having these conversations by connecting with with people. This is why we named the company The Art of Charm, because it wasn't the method. It wasn't the, you do this, and then you do that, and then you do this. It was art. It's never the same. It's always going to be different. Everyone's going to express themselves in in different manner. And it is up to us to become experienced in using these tools so that we become better with them so that we can make those better connections. I also think there's a level of self-compassion that goes along with the leaning into emotions piece because many of us label our emotions in positive and negatives. And unfortunately, a lot of the emotions we label negative, we tend not to share. We have shame attached to them. We bury them. We hide them. And what the other person experiences from us is half the story, half of us, not the full picture. And if we only focus on positive emotions, well, it's not going to really make for a very meaningful experience. The reason that we enjoy the positive emotions so much is because we've experienced the counterbalance to the negative emotions. If you were to wake up every single day of your life only feeling positive, by day three or day four or day five, it's going to feel much like summer in LA. It's just another sunny day. It does not have the same gravitas in your life without the negative experiences, the negative emotions. For myself, those negative emotions, I wasn't allowed really as a kid to express them. My dad didn't want to see me emotional. He felt if he saw me emotional, he wasn't doing a good job as a dad, right? To protect me being a single father. And growing up in that experience, well, of course it became difficult for me to share the negative emotions that I had some shame around the sadness I would feel from time to time, the fear of failure that I would feel. And of course, if you probably surveyed my friends in high school and my friends early in college, they probably would have said, well, I, I know AJ, but not at a real level of depth. So we, we also have to cultivate some self-compassion and realize that these heavier emotions that we're feeling, everyone feels them. And not only is it important for us to share them with others, but it's important for us to allow ourselves to experience them so that in conversation, we can build that depth of relationship that we're looking for. And, you know, whether it's our bootcamp participants or our X Factor members or core confidence students, the fact remains the same. Every experience we have together, we're unified in those same fears and those same dreams. And no matter where they are in the world or, or where the backgrounds the students have come to us from over the years, the tens of thousands we've worked with, 
they're all going through these universally same experiences, these fears of failure, these pursuits of perfection, these not wanting to let their parents down and and not wanting to showcase that maybe things aren't going as well as they appear on the outside. And unfortunately, through that habit, we've created this distance between us and others. And it's our job to start chipping away at that wall that we've built up. And some of our older students, well, they've, they've plastered a few extra layers on that wall. So it takes a little longer to break through that wall. But ultimately, when we remove that barrier of sharing those negative emotions, we create the space and that vulnerability that allows those relationships to blossom. You know, that's why I was so excited to do this toolbox. Not only have we not done one for a little while, but also because this is a problem that I've directly worked on in myself and continue to work on. And I've experienced it in my relationship with Amy. And it's something that should, one, raise awareness that just sharing data and information with someone and expecting a relationship to blossom out of that is asking a lot. It's going about it the wrong way. We need to get a level beyond just the data to get to that emotional context in the conversation. And if you feel that you're disconnected or struggling to make relationships, we want you to try one of these three things we discussed. Number one, asking deeper questions, right? Getting to understand core motivators and emotions behind that data is so important in conversation and being comfortable sharing your why when maybe it hasn't been asked to create that space and that opportunity for deeper connection. And lastly, leaning into the emotions, both the positive when we're meeting someone for the first time, but as that relationship is blooming, also expressing those negative emotions that you're feeling and allowing the other person to see you as a whole person with flaws and all creates the depth in conversation and depth in relationships that we're all looking for. And I'll add practice, practicing those things, practice, perfect practice. But what we say in X Factor, it's the one skill that you could practice no matter where you are in the world every day. And that is your social skill. Exactly. I don't need a basketball court. Yeah. I don't need a tennis court. I don't need a golf course to practice my social skills. You can join us in X Factor or any of our coaching programs and get the opportunities, even if it's at a distance, even if it's over Zoom right now. Now, I know we have a challenge for this week, Michael. Let's do the challenge. Okay. We want you guys to practice this. And here's your challenge for the week if you choose to accept it. Every day, add some light, some light disclosure to one of the answers that you would usually give to the typically boring small talk question. So if someone asks you, what's your plan for the weekend? Don't just say, oh, I'm going to see my brother and his wife. Maybe add the why. Because I haven't seen them for a while. And, you know, we, we all couldn't travel. And I'm, they got a new baby. And I'm so excited to, to meet my nephew. Or, you know, what are you going to watch in the evening? Don't just say, oh, I'm going to watch The Office. But maybe say, well, I'm going to watch The Office because, you know, it's so, so full of like embarrassment and humor. And it really reminds me of the first job that I have. Just do that and then see how that changes the response that you get from the person that asked you that question. I love adding that because statement, right? Sharing your answer and adding the why because it's such a key way to fill in the blank and create that space and conversation for connection. Let us know how it goes. We love hearing from you. You can hit us up on social media at The Art of Charm on all of your favorite platforms, or you can also email us questions at theartofcharm.com. 
and we would love a review in iTunes. Support the show and let us know what you thought of today's toolbox. One of this week's shout outs goes to a boot camp alumni named Regis, who has certainly come a long way. He recently found himself taking some classes that will possibly lead to a new career that he's very excited about. Due to the tools he acquired at AOC, he has found a way to tap back into his passions and start pursuing his best self. A change of career in your late 30s is not an easy thing, and I'm happy that he is so excited for new opportunities. Congrats, and best of luck to you and your latest endeavor, Regis. I love these stories, and a huge shout-out to Peter in our X Factor Accelerator for a truly epic week of wins. Promotion at work to lead engineer with new management responsibilities, and even getting a number with a fantastic Zoom date. Putting his new conversation skills and recognizing emotional bids to work, he created a date that neither of them wanted to end. It's truly an honor to work every single week with such awesome guys, Johnny. I love our weekly coaching sessions. They motivate me. They certainly motivate me as well. Who's in your wolf pack? Do you have a group of supported and growth-minded people in your life pushing you to improve every week? Well, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's exactly why we created our X Factor Accelerator, to show you the power of an epic network of driven people. If you're ready to take your social skills and network to the next level, apply to join our X Factor mentorship program today. Unlock your xfactor.com. Finally, we could use your support. If you love the show and value what we bring to your life every week, could you head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast? It would mean the world to us, and it helps others find the show. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next week, I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. 